Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Life's full of things we can't depend on. Like the Irish weather. Predictably unpredictable. When you're cutting it fine, but the tractor in front is out for the day. No winner of this week's you-know-what. So much for Lucky 7. But some things you can depend on. Like in home heating. Emo, Jones Oil and Campus Oil are now Certa, Delivering the same warmth to your home now and into the future. For home heating you can depend on, see CertaIreland.ie. Rancho Santa Fe, California is a planned community in the north end of San Diego County. The land was originally purchased by the Santa Fe Railway as a place to plant and harvest blue gum eucalyptus trees, which they planned to use as railroad ties. Unfortunately, the wood ended up being too soft and the company formed the Santa Fe Land Improvement Company and they turned the area into a community that's become an affluent area where stars like Ace Frehley and Jenny Craig live. Marshall Applewhite suffered from mental illness that made him believe that he would ascend to a higher level of being. He convinced other people that his ideas were real and they followed his every instruction, even when it meant leaving this world for good. This is Monsters. This is a very exciting time for us. Who is us? I'm Doe, for starters, and I have in front of me a number of students, or my classroom, or in old language, a couple thousand years ago, disciples. Those who are trying to prepare themselves for entry into the evolutionary level above human, synonymous with the kingdom of God the kingdom of heaven. We're going to talk to you about the most urgent thing that is on our mind and what we suspect is the most urgent thing on the minds of those who will connect with us. We'll title this tape, uh, Planet Earth About to be Recycled. Your only chance to evacuate is to leave with us. Planet Earth about to be recycled. Your only chance to survive or evacuate is to leave 
with us. On September 14, 1975, at the Bay Shore Inn in Waldport, Oregon, a man named Doe and a woman named T conducted a seminar in front of roughly 200 people. Many people in the audience would watch in wonder as Doe entranced them with his story of how to ascend to a higher level of being. They explained that they were there to lead them back home and the trip would happen very soon. If they wanted to continue to live, they needed to join them on a trip off the planet. Soon, the news in Waldport was reporting the sudden disappearance of 20 residents who just up and left. Many had good jobs and families, but they just dropped everything and vanished. Marshall Applewhite Jr. was born on March 17, 1931 in Sur, Texas. He was the son of a Presbyterian preacher, Marshall Applewhite Sr., and his wife, Louise. He had two older sisters and a younger brother who suffered from mental illness who was eventually sent to live in a state-run assisted living facility. In school, Marshall was a good student who was class president and a born leader. He sang in the church choir and people said that he had a great baritone voice. That led him to a love of musical theater and opera. In college, Marshall was outgoing and involved in extracurricular activities. He was on the Judiciary Council, a cappella choir, and the Association of Presbyterian Ministers in the Making. He obtained a bachelor's degree in philosophy from Austin College in 1952. Later that year, he married his high school sweetheart, Ann Pierce, and the two would end up having two children together. In 1954, Marshall was drafted into the United States Army and served in Austria for two years in the Army Signal Corps. The U.S. military didn't only use a draft during the Vietnam War. They drafted men from 1940 until 1973 when they needed to fill vacancies that weren't being filled by voluntary means. After he was discharged from the Army, Marshall attended the University of Colorado where he earned a master's degree in music. After that, he and his family moved around a bit. They went to New York where Marshall attempted to become a famous singer and actor, but the rejection made him give up. They moved to Virginia, where Marshall started attending a seminary school to become a Presbyterian preacher, but he realized that wasn't his true passion. Then they moved to North Carolina, where he took a job as the music director of a local church. After a few years, in 1959, Marshall took a position as assistant music professor at the University of Alabama. While there, he developed an interest in aliens and UFOs, even writing a few research papers about the subjects. Eventually, Marshall took a job as the professor of music at the University of St. Thomas in Houston, a private Catholic university. He continued to perform in musical theater and operas, impressing everyone in performances in Faust and Carmen. Near the end of the 60s, Marshall's wife left him and gained full custody of their children. After she moved back to her hometown, it was revealed that Marshall had been having an affair with a male student. He was also fired from his position at the university. Marshall ended up revealing to his very religious and conservative parents that he was gay. He would say in a later interview that his father reacted by saying, What kind of sins have I committed for the Lord to scorn me this way? His parents completely rejected him and he spent the next few years wandering the country. In 1971, Marshall was rehearsing the part of Olin in Carlisle Floyd's Susanna when he had a major anxiety attack that sent him to the hospital. Shortly after, his father died, which people said threw him into a deep depression. It was during this time that Marshall says he started hearing messages. 
He told a friend that he had received a message directly from the Lord that had given him all the knowledge of where the human race had come from and where it was going. In 1972, Marshall says that he went to the hospital to visit a friend, but his sister said that he was a patient. He had been admitted to the hospital with a near-fatal heart blockage which she believes left him with lasting brain damage. Other people have said that they believe he checked himself into the psych ward to help with his mental health. It was there that Marshall met a nurse named Bonnie Nettles. Bonnie Trousdale was born on August 29, 1927 in Houston, Texas. She was also from a religious family, but she left the religion when she became an adult. She graduated from the Herman Hospital School of Professional Nursing in Houston in 1948 and then married businessman Joseph Nettles in 1949. The couple would have four children together. Bonnie became interested in the occult, specifically a belief called theosophy. Theosophy was founded in the late 19th century in the United States by a Russian immigrant named Helena Blavatsky. It's said to draw influence from Neoplatonism, Hinduism, Buddhism, and is a mixture of the occult and astrology. Bonnie was inducted into the Lodge of the Theosophical Society in 1966 and began conducting seances and creating astrological charts. She believed that she was being guided by the ghost of a monk who had died in Greece in the 1800s. His name was Brother Francis. Her obsession with the supernatural put a strain on her relationship with her husband and her children. Bonnie had also gone to another fortune teller who told her she would meet a tall, light-haired, fair-skinned man in the year 1972. So when she met Marshall, who fit that description in that year, she believed they were meant to be together. Because where else would she ever meet a tall, blonde, white guy in the U.S.? She told Marshall that all of his problems were because he hadn't met her yet. She said that they needed to go on a spiritual journey together. When she completed an astrological reading for him, she determined that his voices were anointing him with a new type of heaven that was glorifying him. It was an unfortunate pairing of two people who would enable each other's mental illness. Bonnie cut her hair so it looked like Marshall's and she told him that she would guide him on his journey. By now, Joseph had divorced Bonnie and taken custody of the kids. With nothing keeping them in Texas, the pair began traveling the country looking for sheep to herd. Marshall and Bonnie ended up on the Oregon coast where they discovered that they were the two witnesses that were foretold in the book of Revelation. They believed that they were destined to be martyrs, then rise from the dead. Then they would ascend to heaven in a cloud. They called this process the demonstration, the beginning of the destruction of the world. They went on to justify this idea by saying that people in the first century wouldn't understand what a UFO was, so they described it as a cloud. They claimed that with a powerful enough telescope, you could see God. Some people have suggested that they might have dropped acid when they came up with all of this. They started conducting seminars to gain followers to their religion. They had convinced one of their friends in Texas to join them, and then they began recruiting in California they would put out flyers that said, UFOs, space aliens, and their final fight for Earth's spoils, across the top. It challenged people by saying, if you have ever entertained the idea that there might be a real physical level in space beyond the Earth's confines, you will want to attend this meeting. 
They started in Los Angeles and then moved to San Francisco. The seminars there were very successful, and it was at this time that they started introducing themselves as Doe and T individually, but also claimed to go by the two. They convinced people that their bodies would physically transform into an alien when they were picked up by a spaceship that would fly them to heaven. They picked up a couple dozen followers who quickly left their jobs as salesmen, television producer, accountant, and Air Force pilot trainee. Those people sold off all of their possessions and said goodbye to their families. Soon they were conducting a seminar in Waldport, Oregon, where 20 people would join the group and leave town. One week later, all of the new followers met in the Colorado National Monument Park, where the two began calling themselves Bo and Peep because now they had sheep. That apparently wasn't enough of a warning, and the followers waited for days for a spaceship to swoop down and carry them away to another level of life. But it never came, and during the course of waiting, they lost quite a few followers. We'll be right back. Terry was away for the weekend for her daughter's wedding. The morning of the big day, she got a call from SimpliSafe's 24-7 Professional Monitoring Center. They let her know that her system had detected water in her basement. In moments like this, time is critical because even an inch of flooding can cause more than $25,000 in damages. But thankfully, SimpliSafe had detected the water just moments after the leak had started. After talking to SimpliSafe, Terry called her neighbor who quickly turned the water to her home off before the flooding got bad. So the story has a happy ending. Terry enjoyed her daughter's wedding day, knowing she'd averted thousands of dollars in water damage. Protecting against floods is just one of the reasons more than 4 million people trust their home protection to SimpliSafe. I use SimpliSafe at my home and office to make sure my property is protected 24-7. You can customize the perfect system for your home in just a few minutes at SimpliSafe.com forward slash thisismonsters. Go today and claim a free indoor security camera plus 20% off with interactive monitoring. Go to simplysafe.com forward slash thisismonsters. During the early years of the cult, a reporter, Robert Balch, and his friend David Taylor went undercover into the group to find out what they were doing. They attended a seminar, which was held by followers instead of Bo and Peep, or Doe and T, or Winnie and Pooh, whatever they were calling themselves at the time. Robert and David claimed to be interested and wanted to meet the two. The followers gave them instructions to go to Orinda, which was just outside of Oakland, and find the post office. They said that they should go inside and find the zip code book, and on page 100, there would be an address written for them. When Robert and David went to the post office and looked in the book, there was no address. It just said, meet us at the top of Mount Diablo. Mount Diablo State Park was about an hour away and they managed to hitch a ride, but once they arrived, there was nobody else there. They found cult literature in the garbage, so since they knew they had been there, they waited around. Finally, two cars full of followers pulled up and told them to get inside. Both men spent months inside the cult, and for a while they were split up into different camps. Robert said that there was no authority structure. The two claimed to be following a process called the human individual metamorphosis. The teaching was about changing yourself individually, and people didn't feel like they should have authority over others. At this point in the cult's life, Robert found that nobody was really being pushed to do anything they didn't want to do. He and David ended up leaving the group, and Robert wrote an article about them being weird, but that they didn't seem predatory. And that's exactly how it was at the beginning. They had no real instruction. 
They traveled around, camping, and preparing themselves for the transformation. But ex-members said that Marshall and Bonnie didn't really tell them what they needed to do. At one point, they gave the followers each a 440 hertz tuning fork, which would produce an A note. Then they told them to tune their mind to that frequency. That was it. One ex-member said that he went into the hills and rang the fork, then held it to his head so the frequency would radiate through his skull. Was he supposed to do that? He didn't really know. At the beginning of 1976, Bonnie announced that the quote-unquote harvest had closed and they would not be accepting new recruits. The cult peaked at about 200 members, but gradually fell to about 50 over the next few years. Each member was to leave all of their possessions behind and the money was pooled within the group, which really means the followers gave all of their money to Marshall and Bonnie. They used this money to rent a house from time to time, and then other times they camped out so they could commune with nature. The group remained relaxed and directionless for quite a few years until Marshall and Bonnie hold a retreat at a campsite where they begin more strict cult behavior. The two tell them that they are actually stuck on Earth because the ship won't come for them until they're pure enough to be taken to the next level. They must purge themselves of individuality. They can no longer do what they want when they want to do it. They need to strip themselves of everything. Jewelry, facial hair, personal relationships, sexual desire, even their own independent thought. According to Marshall and Bonnie, individuality was bad, so all of the followers cut their hair to look the same. They were told to wear dull-colored baggy clothes in order to hide their gender. Parents were told to give up their children, and some did. Wayne and Suzanne Cook both became immediately drawn into the cult and left their 10-year-old daughter with Suzanne's parents. They were convinced that they were going to get plucked up any day and children weren't allowed to come, so they would just have to go without their daughter. Abandoning their child was an immediate decision made by them. I always ask, if a belief says you should harm children, especially your own, why is it worthy of being believed? Why couldn't they find something worth living for on Earth, such as, I don't know, their daughter? Marshall and Bonnie slowly started isolating the followers from everything that made them individuals. They became generic vessels with no identity, no gender, and no personality. The controlling behavior continued to increase. In the house they lived in, there were more people than beds, so they were giving sleeping shifts. There were three shifts a day, and each bed had three people in it at a time. They were given six minutes to shower. They had rules about how they washed their body, how they brushed their teeth, how they went to the bathroom. They had to fast and use enemas in order to cleanse their body. Soon, Marshall told them that they needed new names. He said they should be two syllables, with the last syllable being a family name of Odie, O-D-Y. Then the first syllable would be their first name, consisting of three letters. They had names like Melody, M-L-L-O-D-Y, Sorody, S-R-R-O-D-Y, and Rathody, R-T-H-O-D-Y. Then, any sexual thought became wrong. If any of the male members had a wet dream, they had to record it in a log where they had to list when it happened and what they had seen the previous day that may have led them to sexual thoughts. Marshall and Bonnie said that they could only transition to the next level if they were pure like children. The followers were assigned partners called a check partner that they had to be with 24 hours a day. 
The partners were tasked with monitoring each other, making sure they weren't doing anything impure. If one of the partners spoke on the phone, the other one would be on the line just to make sure nothing was said that was deemed unacceptable. The partners would be rotated every six weeks to ensure they didn't develop romantic feelings for each other or even platonic affection. Eventually, Marshall would claim that he was receiving telepathic messages from the spaceship and would hold regular meetings so he could give the followers updates. After time, the pooled money started running out and some of the members had to go out and find work. One girl had joined the cult at 16 years old and was surrounded by only the cult for four years. Her only interaction was with Marshall, Bonnie, and the other followers from 16 to 20, an extremely impressionable time in any person's life. She found a job as a waitress, and while being outside, surrounded by other people, she started to see how different the outside world was. She started having nightmares about dying if she stayed in the cult, so she decided to leave. During this time, the outside influence caused a number of members to leave, and some stayed away, but others ended up coming back. Wayne and Suzanne Cook ended up leaving the cult after six years, returning to their daughter, who was 16 years old by then. After three years, though, they believed they had made a mistake and abandoned their daughter again to live under the rules of Marshall Applewhite and Bonnie Nettles. In 1983, a major change in the cult came when Bonnie was diagnosed with cancer. She had to have one of her eyes removed, and the doctor told her that the cancer had already spread and she didn't have much longer. Bonnie claimed that the doctor was wrong because she and Marshall would ascend to a higher level together. Eventually, the cancer spread to her liver, and she died on June 19, 1985. This event changed the cult from being about transcending after they died to having to die in order to transcend. Bonnie's death would make some followers question what they had been told by the two. This caused cognitive dissonance within the group. It went against what Bonnie and Marshall had told them about dying. Marshall claimed that it only looked like Bonnie had gotten cancer, but really her next-level consciousness had burned up her vehicle and she had to ascend. He used Bonnie's death to reveal that they wouldn't be able to get on the spaceship in their bodies, something he referred to as their vehicle. They would have to shed their vehicle in order to board the ship. This was the point where the members of the Heaven's Gate cult would be convinced that they needed to die in order to complete their plan. In the absence of Bonnie, the structure of the cult changed from being focused on ascending to the next level and became more about worshipping Marshall as the second coming of Christ. He held a ceremony where he married all the followers. The core beliefs changed from the more occult ideology of Bonnie to the more evangelical mindset of Marshall. Marshall had a male follower become his assistant as a means of taking over the duties of Bonnie, but soon he told him that he couldn't have him continue because his vehicle had become attracted to the assistant's vehicle. This is where one of the more outgoing followers suggested that the men castrate themselves if they couldn't control their sexual desires. In 1984, a follower who was a former nurse believed that she could perform the castrations. Because why not? She took a volunteer, numbed the area, and made an opening in the scrotum. She severed the connection to the testicles and removed them from the scrotum. It isn't like they were just hacking off the entire sack. They were removing the testicles, which would lower the hormones and cut down on sex drive. 
Unfortunately, the volunteer's scrotum started to swell significantly. One of the followers said that Marshall was so concerned, he said, I've taken this too far, we should go to the police. The followers refused. This was the first time that they wouldn't follow an order from their leader, and it was so they could continue castrating each other. They had been locked up with the twisted beliefs of the two for ten years, cut off from any social interaction, causing them to escalate their behavior on their own. Marshall and Bonnie would have the followers complete tests in order to prove their worthiness to ascend to the next level. In Texas, the followers were told to stand outside and look up at the sky for an entire night into the following afternoon. When they were called back in, they were praised for completing what the two called a drill. These tests caused the members to become completely reliant on the approval of their leaders. Instead of just following instructions, they began to escalate their behavior in an effort to impress Marshall. The group finally gave in and took the castrated follower to the hospital under a fake name where he was treated. Then, despite his immediate unease over the procedure, Marshall found a doctor in Mexico who would perform the castrations either surgically or through chemical castration. At least seven men got castrated, including Marshall. Life's full of things we can't depend on. Like the Irish weather, predictably unpredictable. When you're cutting it fine, but the tractor in front is out for the day. No winner of this week's you-know-what. So much for lucky seven. But some things you can depend on. Like in home heating. Emo, Jones Oil and Campus Oil are now Serta, Delivering the same warmth to your home now and into the future. For home heating you can depend on, see CertaIreland.ie. Life's full of things we can't depend on. Like the Irish weather predictably unpredictable when you're cutting it fine but the tractor in front is out for the day no winner of this week's you know what so much for lucky seven but some things you can depend on like in home heating emo jones oil and campus oil are now certa delivering the same warmth to your home now and into the future for home heating you can depend on see certaireland.ie at the end of the 80s the cult disappeared from view Many people thought they may have disbanded, but in reality they were just quietly waiting for their chance to leave their vehicles and board their spaceship. Marshall had become increasingly paranoid that the government or the followers' families were going to come after him, so they would rent a house for a few months before moving somewhere else. It was years of constant movements around the country while the followers became more and more reliant on Marshall for everything, including their thoughts. In 1992, Marshall decided that it was time to try to increase their ranks and he sent followers out in groups to hold seminars just like he and Bonnie did in the 70s. This time, though, people were not as receptive to their proselytizing. The followers had another seminar in Waldport, Oregon, and one of the attendees had also attended the seminar in 1975. He told them that they had been there almost 20 years ago, saying the same thing and asked them why it hadn't happened yet. They couldn't answer. The groups of followers all over got bombarded by questions by skeptical people, and the attempt to recruit was largely unsuccessful. With in-person recruitment not working, the group took to the internet to get their message out. They built a website and made a series of videos where Marshall explained their beliefs. Now, though, he was claiming that he was the second coming of Christ and that the outside world was a conspiracy created by the devil. 
On May 27, 1993, they printed an ad in USA Today that read, UFO cult resurfaces with final offer. It said that the entire human civilization would soon become recycled and the only way to survive would be to come with them. It had a phone number and a website address. They didn't fare any better online than they did in person. One woman left her newborn twins and handed over her life savings, but their online postings were mostly met with aggressive rejection. Commenters called them out as a cult and rejected their claims. It was a hard blow to Marshall, who was increasingly ready to depart this world. In 1996, the group of 39, Marshall and 38 followers, moved to a large house in Rancho Santa Fe, California. It was a three-story, 9,200-square-foot house with seven bedrooms. They also purchased alien abduction insurance, which would pay out a million dollars per follower in the event of abduction, impregnation, or death by aliens. I have this, and it's very affordable, though proving you were abducted by aliens is a tough one. Soon after, it was announced that the Hale-Bopp comet would be one of the brightest comets to pass by Earth, and it would be closest to the Earth at the end of March in 1997. The previous November, an amateur astronomer took a picture that showed something behind the comet, and he called a paranormal radio program to announce that he had discovered something traveling behind the comet. Despite several astronomers, including Alan Hale, explaining that the object was a star and it wasn't picked up by the amateur's computer software because it wasn't properly calibrated, conspiracy theorists took the claim and ran with it, because that's what they do. A fake image of the comet with an object following behind it was produced, and the conspiracy gained even more traction. Marshall told his followers that the object behind the Hale-Bopp comet was a spaceship that was coming to take them home. He explained that Bonnie had left her vehicle to retrieve the ship and bring it to them. They even purchased a telescope so they could see the ship, but when they set it up and looked behind the comet, there was no ship. Instead of recognizing that they were wrong, they went back to the store and returned the telescope, explaining that it didn't work. They had waited over 20 years and were so desperate for a sign that it was time to go that they convinced themselves that it was the telescope that was wrong. Despite finding no evidence that there was a ship trailing the Hale-Bopp comet, the cult believed that it was a sign that they needed to prepare for their departure, an event they called the Exit. Now they needed to formulate a plan to leave their own vehicles so they could board the ship. Marshall suggested that they use a sweet drink to lie down and sleep so they could transition to the next level. At first, being heavily influenced by the events of Waco, Texas in 1993, Marshall suggested the group begin stockpiling weapons, causing the federal government to take notice. This would end in the feds coming in and killing everybody, but he realized that wasn't a sure way to end the lives of every follower, and would involve putting other people in harm's way. Probably one of the few reasonable thoughts that Marshall Applewhite had. Instead, they chose to poison themselves with a combination of barbiturates mixed into either pudding or applesauce, and suffocate themselves with a bag placed over their heads. Their final months were spent in the house, preparing for what they would call their final exit. They made matching uniforms with a patch that said, Heaven's Gate Away Team, inspired by their favorite television show, Star Trek. It was an interesting coincidence that one of the final members was Thomas Nichols, brother of Nichelle Nichols, who played Lieutenant Uhura in Star Trek The Original Series. Then, all of the members made exit videos. Well, I just want to let everyone know how lucky and happy I feel to be here. And 
let you know that what we're about to do is certainly nothing to think negatively about. We're all choosing of our own free will to go to the next level with T and Bill. That's right. And they are certainly not what the media is going to paint them out to be. The blame will be pointed at would uh, be T and Doe, uh, and we've always had free reign to come and go and believe or not believe. Uh, and I so look forward to the time when we could be back together with T um, very shortly and rejoining her and being all together in the next level. Team that T and Doe were and are my older members who I look to for everything and that following the information that they brought was what I had to do. I could not do anything else. That some students had chosen, had proven to him that they desired to have their vehicles neutered. And I'm one of those students that did that. And I can't tell you how free that has made me feel. I've been here long enough from the time I had that operation to know the freedom that it offers me. I'd also like to say that this is what we're about to do of my own volition and I know that is what I want to do and that no matter what happens that decision is entirely up to me. And one last thing we'd like to say is 39 to beam up. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> In all of the videos, they were sure to include that they were making this decision on their own. But that's exactly what someone who was brainwashed would say. One follower points out that Tian Do would try to push out members who didn't want to be there. But that's also a manipulative tactic, to quickly get rid of anyone who might question their beliefs. Even if they weren't brainwashed, they weren't making the decision to commit suicide. They were making the decision to leave their body and board a ship something that Marshall had convinced them they were doing. If they knew that they were simply committing suicide, would they have been so willing to go along? That's the problem with free will. You can freely take action, but if you take that action based on lies, it isn't free will anymore. Your free will has been taken away due to manipulation. Other people say it wasn't a cult because they were allowed to leave, and it's true that some people left, but just because the ones who died were physically able to leave, they weren't mentally able to leave. Many members who left ended up coming back because Marshall's hold on them was so strong. He had spent decades breaking down their ability to function without his guidance and approval. He made it so they felt broken and alone once they walked out that door, and that's not freedom. In the goodbye videos, most of what the followers said were direct quotes from Marshall, and he was the one operating the camera, so none of them are pouring out their true thoughts. They're repeating what Marshall wants them to say, what they think will make Marshall happy. I find this clip to be the most fascinating, though. Yeah, for the record, if people want to know why we're choosing to do this, I think this planet has become a very, very hideous place. Um, they take control of you from the cradle to the grave. You have no choices except when the next level offers you some choices. And most of the time, you're herded around like animals. You have no choices. What they put in front of you are your choices. I don't like what they put in front of me. I'm making the final choice here. 
the choice is out of their hands what I'm going to do from here on. That's the way I'd like to leave it. Goodbye. He says that he doesn't like this world because you're controlled from the cradle to the grave and have no choices. Yet he's in a cult where he's not allowed to make any choices. He's instructed on every move he makes, every minute of the day. He is dressed and groomed to be a carbon copy of his fellow followers. Yet he's been convinced that outside of this group, he would have no choices. In the weeks prior to their final exit, the group went on multiple trips. A sort of bucket list vacation. They traveled to the Oregon coast where Marshall and Bonnie had their revelation. They went to the San Diego Zoo, SeaWorld, Mexico, and to Las Vegas. They put all of their web content onto floppy disks and sent it to various people around the world and contacted ex-members and asked them to continue to circulate their information. Sometime around March 22nd, the group began the process of leaving their vehicles. They had a list of instructions and the followers were split into three groups. Group 1 would be the first to take the poison, assisted by Group 2, who would put a plastic bag over their head and then cover them with a shroud after they were confirmed to be dead. Then Group 2 would take the poison, assisted by Group 3. When Group 2 was dead, two members would assist Marshall and the last group in taking the poison. Those last two were the last to take the poison and then place the bag over their own head. On March 26th, San Diego police got a call from a payphone reporting a mass suicide. Hello? Yes, um, I need to uh, report uh, an anonymous tip. Who do I talk to? Uh, okay, this is regarding what? And, uh, this is regarding a mass suicide, and I can give you the address. Police arrived at the mansion in Rancho Santa Fe and found 39 people laying around the house on mattresses. They were all wearing the same clothes and all had on matching brand new black Nike shoes. All but two of the bodies were covered in a purple shroud. In their pockets, they all had ID and some had exactly $5.75 because Mark Twain had once written that that was the cost to ride the tail of a comet to heaven. There were red cups all around with remnants of chocolate pudding or applesauce. In the master bedroom, they found Marshall's body laying on his bed. While the rest of the group was crammed into bunk beds in every room of the house or even mattresses laying on tables, Marshall was by himself in a giant bedroom with art adorning the walls, a sign of what was really important to Marshall Applewhite. Ex-members came forward to defend the group, claiming that people were too quick to write them off as a cult and they needed to look deeper into their actions. But there wasn't anything deeper. A man with severe mental health issues was able to isolate a group of people and convince them they needed to kill themselves. Over the next few months, three more former members would commit suicide on their own, claiming in their own exit videos that they wanted to go be with their family. Some people call this event a mass suicide, but many people, including the detective on the case, more appropriately call it a mass murder committed by a monster. In the years after the deaths, ex-members and family members of the dead got together at events where Bonnie's daughter was one of the attendees. She revealed that her mother wrote her a letter every month up until she died. The ex-members became upset because Bonnie was telling them that they needed to have no attachments and to abandon their families, but she was continuing to have a relationship with her daughter. Not only that, but in those letters, Bonnie gave her own daughter advice that was completely against her teachings to the followers. 
She gave her advice about conforming to society, and it was obvious that she didn't believe her own teachings. She had gotten herself in too far and couldn't find a way out. Then she died and left everything in the hands of Marshall Applewhite, who led the flock to the edge of a cliff, jumped off, and they all followed. If you're the victim of domestic abuse, please reach out to someone for help. Talk to your local shelter or call the National Domestic Abuse Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. Or you can go to thehotline.org to chat with someone online. This website is set up so that at any time, hitting the escape key twice will take you to a Google search page. That way, if your abuser is nearby, you won't get caught seeking help. If you're having feelings of harming yourself or someone else, or even just need someone to talk to, please contact your local mental health facility, call 911, or call Mental Health America, who operate the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. They're available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Thanks so much for letting me tell you this story. If you enjoyed it, subscribe on whatever platform you're on, hit like, rate us, or leave us a comment. You can also check out our other show, Somewhere Sinister, on YouTube or anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to support the show, check out our new merch at Teespring. The link is in the description. Thanks again, and be safe. All this month, stream the funniest films for free on Pluto TV. Watch comedy classics like Anchorman, The Legend of Ron Burgundy, and Mean Girls. Or drop in for a Tyler Perry marathon with a Medea family funeral and Medea's witness protection. Pluto TV also has hundreds of channels and thousands of movies and TV shows like Get Shorty, Be Cool, Key and Peel, Comedy and Color, and more. And no contracts, no subscriptions, no fees, no joke. So download the Pluto TV app on your favorite streaming device and start laughing today. Pluto TV, drop in, watch free. Life's full of things we can't depend on. Like the Irish weather, predictably unpredictable. When you're cutting it fine, but the tractor in front is out for the day. No winner of this week's you-know-what. So much for Lucky 7. But some things you can depend on. Like in home heating. Emo, Jones Oil and Campus Oil are now Certa, Delivering the same warmth to your home now and into the future. For home heating you can depend on, see CERTAIreland.ie. There's nothing like getting a card or parcel in the post. So send from the heart and get 20 Christmas stamps for just €20 from onpost.com or your local post office. And don't forget, the last day for posting within the Republic of Ireland is Thursday, December 22nd. On Post, for your world. For more information, see onpost.com slash Christmas.